Our scripture reading today is from Revelation 5. Uh, Here we go. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, <clears throat> so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been, it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around, <clears throat> and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Thanks, Brooke. A few years ago, uh, Beck and I got tickets to go see uh, a U2 concert uh, at M&T Bank Stadium. And uh, Beck and I have always been kind of big fans of, of U2's music. So when we found out that they were in town, we wanted to make an effort to go uh, and see them play. Uh, but when we, were, we got there, we were just so impressed by what a huge spectacle uh, this whole concert really was. There were so many people there. I mean, there was just gobs of people there. And uh, the stage uh, was massive. It was huge. It, it kind of filled almost the entire uh, infield of M&T Bank Stadium, if you've ever been there before. And uh, when the band came on, the whole place kind of erupted. I mean, it just went nuts. You could look up in the sky and you saw five or six helicopters flying over the stadium just trying to catch a glimpse uh, of the concert. And I remember at that point, uh, I looked at the guy who was standing next to me, and he was kind of a middle-aged man that was there by himself, and you could tell he probably worked in an office or something like that. But when the band came on, he started jumping up and down, like a kind of like a teenage girl at little rock concerts. And, and then when the band came out, he literally started weeping. I mean, he is just crying. He was just overcome uh, by everything that he'd seen. And uh, I remember hearing afterwards that it was one of the, the largest crowds ever in, in Baltimore City history, like 85,000 some people uh, gathered to see this concert. And when we left, I mean, we enjoyed ourselves, but we were just more overwhelmed by the spectacle of the whole thing uh, than we were really even the music that we saw. 
Well, the, the Apostle John in the passage that we just read talks about uh, another spectacle that's really in uh, the book of Revelation. And this spectacle makes all other events like a rock concert or anything like that just simply pale in comparison to what he saw. John was uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. He was there uh, out of persecution for his faith. And while he was there, uh, he got a glimpse into heaven. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to be able to see? A glimpse into heaven. And Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 give us that glimpse, or at least it gives us a picture of it, because he was so overwhelmed by the, the spectacle of what he saw when he looked into heaven that it was very hard for him to even describe it. So he had to use kind of vivid or illustrative images in order to simply just describe in words the spectacle that he was that he had witnessed. He saw a a great throne when he peered into heaven. He saw uh, jewels of of every color of the rainbow. He saw uh, elders that were all over the place that had crowns and they were dressed in white garments. He says that that before the throne, there was a, a huge sea of glass as far as the eyes could see. He describes lightning and, and thunder and torches of fire all over the place. He describes kind of weird animals with many horns and many eyes, these mighty animals that kind of scared him when he looked at them. And the numbers that he used were, were vast. He talks about uh, kind of uh, 1 million plus, uh, 100 million plus 1 million people, really uh, a number that was used to describe just an infinite amount of people that were gathered in this scene. And then he describes that at one moment, the entire audience, the entire crowd that had gathered around this uh, throne erupted into worship. They erupted into singing and celebration because of what they saw. And what he's very careful to show us is that at the very center of it all, at the very center of this huge spectacle, is Jesus Christ himself. If you're with us on Christmas Eve, you know that uh, we're starting to ask that question, who is Jesus? Uh, Every time during the Christmas season and during the holiday season, you turn on the television and everybody's showing documentaries trying to ask that question. Who was this person, Jesus Christ, that we're still talking about 2,000 years ago? But it isn't just an academic thing. It certainly is a question that each and every one of us have to ask intellectually. But we also have to ask ourselves personally, who is Jesus? Because it is something that we're supposed to believe intellectually, but it also has profound implications for us personally. It has meaning for us at the very core of who we are. If you hang with us through the month of January, we're going to look at what Jesus said about himself. Uh, particularly in the Gospel of John. And if you were with us on Christmas Eve, we saw that, that, that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine all at the same time. And that was kind of a miraculous thing in and of itself. But as John looks at Jesus in his Gospel, he looks at two very significant and powerful images about who Jesus was. And the two images that he saw is he saw Jesus as a lion and he also saw Jesus as a lamb. 
Those are the two things I'd like to look at this morning. The first thing we see, the first image, is that John sees Jesus as a lion. And that conveys this picture of of might and power and transcendence uh, to God himself. In the Old Testament, uh, the lion was used, uh, obviously, as a symbol of strength. It was a symbol of, of power, and it was a symbol of leadership. And we also know that culturally as well. We've all maybe seen uh, ab- pictures of African safaris. Maybe you've had a chance to go on one yourself. But all of us have seen the Lion King, right? And in the Lion King, the, the lion is portrayed as this image of leadership and power and strength. We've seen the Wizard of Oz and and its character of the the cowardly lion, right? And what does he want? He wants to go find courage. Why? Because that's what lions are. They're courageous, they're powerful, and they're strong. That's why he desired that so much. So the the image of a lion is one that carries with it uh, both fear and and respect of, of strength and power. And John sees the image of Jesus in the terms of a lion. He sees this as part of his heavenly vision. And one of the things you notice if you read through, we only read half of it, but if you read through the entire vision that John has, is there are five songs. There are five songs that this huge crowd sings when they are in heaven. And the first two songs really emphasize the transcendence of Jesus. They emphasize his greatness. They emphasize this image of the lion. So look at this first song uh, that, that is sung in this, uh, this heavenly vision. It says this in, in Revelation 4, uh, verse 8. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. See, what this song captures is that Jesus is holy. He is set apart. He is like no other person. There is no other being that is like Jesus himself. He is without any sin. He is without any error. He is perfect and he is flawless. It also tells us that Jesus is eternal. As a member of the Trinity, he existed in eternity past and he will continue in eternity in the future as well. The second song continues on this theme. It says this, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What this song tells us is that Jesus was uh, responsible for the creation. He was there at the creation of all things, and he was an instrument of that creation. He had a responsibility in the process. It tells us that he is this fierce lion of the tribe of Judah. He is fierce and is warring against his enemies. He is the transcendent one. He is above us. He is greater than us in his power and his strength and in his might. You know, I think when we think of the transcendence of God and the transcendence of Jesus, uh, it's both kind of a, a comforting thing to us, but also a scary thing to us as well. It's scary in the sense that God is full of overwhelming power and majesty, that, that he is, is just and he is holy and we are not. We are his creatures. We are full of brokenness and flaws and sins. We are certainly not holy. But it is comforting in the sense that there is someone who's in control. The book of of Revelation was written to Christians who were being persecuted. They needed to know that despite the circumstances of their lives, 
God was ultimately in control. There is someone who has their hands on the wheel of human history. But in this heavenly vision, John just doesn't see Jesus as a transcendent lion, this powerful lion, but he also sees him as a lamb. And this is where the the climax of John's vision really comes because he sees him not just as a lion who is transcendent, but he sees him as a lamb. And he gives us this picture of intimacy to the person of Jesus. You see, a lamb conveys a a very different image. It conveys an image of, of innocence and weakness. You know, lambs are cute. They are fragile, uh, but they're also weak. They are susceptible to, to being killed and pursued by predators, and that's why they had to have shepherds. They had to have shepherds who would guide them through life because they needed protection. Lions don't need shepherds because they're strong and powerful in and of themselves, but lambs need protection because they are vulnerable and they are weak. But John just doesn't see Jesus as a lamb. He sees him as a lamb who had been slain, a lamb who had been bloodied. Whenever you read the scriptures and whenever really you come to church, you're confronted with the idea of blood all over the place. I don't know if if you've grown up in the church, sometimes we become unaware of it. But even the songs that we sing talk a lot about blood. And when you think about it, it's kind of bizarre in our culture. We live in a very sanitized culture where everybody kind of washes their hands all the time. If we see blood, it's usually in the context of a hospital. Uh, We take care of trash as much as possible. Uh, And that's one thing I'm very thankful for in Western society because of all those things. But in the Old Testament times and really in the ancient world, uh, it wasn't like that. And the idea of blood was much more consistent. You could see it all over the place. And it makes you wonder when you sing songs in church or when you look at the scriptures, why does the scriptures talk so much about the concept of blood? Well, a key verse that helps us understand that comes from Hebrews chapter 9, and it says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You see, folks in the Bible times uh, knew themselves a little better than we do in our modern culture. And they understood themselves to be sinners. And they knew that because they were sinners, they had offended a holy and just and transcendent God. And because of that, they deserved to be punished for their sins. And they knew that their life, and blood was a symbol of life, they knew that their life was to be required because of their sin. So what they would do is they would offer animals as sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals in order to satisfy the wrath of God because they believed that forgiveness is obtained when blood is shed. And that's what makes John's vision so significant. Because in John's vision, Jesus himself becomes the lamb. Jesus becomes the sacrifice. And he picks up on an image that's all the way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, where it says this about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, this is why Jesus was called a lamb, because his blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. No matter how great or how small they are, blood needed to be shed for us to experience forgiveness. His life became the sacrifice that we needed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. The third song talks about this as well. It says this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, what this song is telling us is that holy and transcendent one allowed himself to be slain so that you and I could be ransomed. We could be redeemed. We could be bought back. We could be forgiven for our sins. Look at song number four. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, the lion communicates the idea of transcendence and otherness of God. The lamb communicates the intimacy of God. You might wonder, how does a lamb communicate intimacy of God? Well, it communicates intimacy because it speaks about what motivated him to be slain. And that was his love. His great love for you and I, people who were sinners. You see, Jesus is both. He is both the lion and the lamb. This is power and force that is meeting sacrificial love and gentleness. And one author wrote this. He said, this vision is the central paradox and mystery of the Christian faith. It is deliverance through crucifixion. The fifth song brings all these images together. It says this, To him who sits on the throne, the king, and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. You see, Jesus was the one who with God created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. When people would catch a glimpse of his glory, they would fall to the ground, trembling and in fear. He is the Holy One who is set apart. He is without blemish. He raises up kings and kingdoms and he brings them down. He is the transcendent one. He is the king. He is the lion. But he is also a God who wept at the tomb of his friend. He knows the very numbers that are on your head. He allowed himself to be stripped naked, to be mocked, to be spit upon. He let soldiers stretch his arms out and drive nails into his palms. And he did it all because he intimately cares for you. He did it all because he loves you. He is the lion who became the lamb. I think one of the most uh, vivid pictures of this are found uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, they're they're books written by C.S. Lewis, who himself was a Christian. And uh, they're children's books, they're fiction. But what he does is he illustrates throughout the books many of the truths of Christianity. 
And his books follow uh, four children that mysteriously, mysteriously find themselves into this new world. And they hear about Aslan. And Aslan is the God figure in the books of the Chronicles of Narnia. And by no mistake, his character is a lion. In an, a, a lion. It picks, picks up on this picture of the book of Revelation. And there's one uh, beautiful quote that happens in one of the books where the children uh, first hear about Aslan. They first hear uh, about God himself. And uh, the author captures their different uh, reactions when they hear about this character. It says this, said Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of the summer. You see, all these children hear these, have these different reactions when they hear about God. And the truth is, the, all of their reactions are true. Because he is all of those things wrapped into one. I taught a course uh, on on this very uh, uh, work of literature here at the university this year. And uh, one of the final scenes in in one of the stories uh, is uh, captured in in, in a film. So I, I showed the, the, the image in the class, and it's the image of the lion Aslan, uh, who in order to ransom a traitor, sacrifices himself. And I can remember putting the video up in front of the class and, and showing the students uh, uh, these images, and I began to tear up in the middle. You can imagine a professor starting to tear up as they're showing an image. I began to tear up in the class because of this film that I was showing, and, and not because it was a pretty scene, it was actually a gruesome scene, but the reason I teared up is because of what it represented. It was because our God, the one that we serve, the real God, not a work of fiction or myth, the real God was a lion who became a lamb. He is both the transcendent and he is both the Im- in- Im- intimate. He is everything that we want him to be, and at the same time, everything that we need him to be. He is both our lion and he is both our lamb. Let's pray.